and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons." Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Let us pray. We prayed for our sister earlier. Let's pray for our Bible study now. Uh, Reverend Tuig, sir, would you please pray over the Bible study and teacher? Amen, amen. So we have kind of the unenviable task of finishing chapter 11. Chapter 11 is the faith chapter of the Bible, and it's kind of like taking the last bite of dessert. You know, it's good, you're glad, but you know it's going to be over. And so uh, that's where we're at right now. Now, if you've been with us in, in Hebrews, let me just give you a real quick update. Paul's writing this book. He's writing this book to a bunch of people who were Jews. That means their whole culture, everything surrounding them was, was Jewish, their family ties, everything. And so when they got saved, they were no longer involved in the, the temple worship and all of the uh, feasts and all the things that were going on, yet they were surrounded by it. And so there was a great temptation to be pulled back into it. And so Paul is writing this book, uh, Hebrews, to these people, encouraging them to not go back to Judaism. And what he's doing through the whole book, and we've covered it, he's showing that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. The new tabernacle is better than the old tabernacle. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus is better than the angels. And so we've walked all the way through that. We got to chapter 11, uh, the great hall of faith, and Paul begins to give us examples. This is really important. He gives us all these witnesses and examples. It's going to carry through into chapter 12, too, of people 
who believe God. Now, what we saw last week, we saw last week that faith does not give us a get out of trouble free card. You remember that? It does not give us an escape from the difficulties that we go through. Matter of fact, there are times where God gives us deliverance, but then we saw in chapter 11 where they were tortured. You remember that? And I just read this last portion to you. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They, they, they dwelt in, in tents. They, had, they didn't have mansions on the hillside. I mean, they were just barely uh, surviving on this earth. So believing in God does not equate to prosperity. You can have a lot of money and be godless. You can be very poor and be very faith-filled. Contrary-wise, you can be very poor and be very poor in your faith, not have any God. You can be very rich and have a lot of God, too. So our financial standing has nothing to do with our spirituality. You can find people that are godly Christians in every strata of society. Most important thing is God doesn't care how much you have. He cares how much it has you. And so sometimes he can't bless us with more because the more he gives to people, the more it chokes them out. And so part of the problem sometimes with prosperity is we're not ready to handle it. If we find ourselves blessed, then God wants us to be a wise steward of those blessings, remembering that they do not belong to us. We are a money manager. It's God's money. He gives it to us. And we are to wisely steward those finances for the kingdom of God. Part of that is going to be to take care of your bills, to feed your family, to take care of your children. Part of that's going to be for the ministry's sake, reaching out, helping however God directs you, paying your tithe, of course, doing those things. But we, are, we have to understand, hey, this doesn't belong to me. And sometimes we have this idea that it's all mine. And when you get that way, you got the wrong spirit. Listen to what the Bible said. He said, there is he that keepeth, withholdeth more than is meet, more than is appropriate, and attendeth to poverty. So the people that are gathering and saying, don't take my stuff, <laughs> it tends to poverty. Another scripture says, they gather all this stuff and they put it in a bag full of holes. So they think they're so, man, we're going to have a big bag. I, I'm going to have a big stash of cash. But the more they gather, they put it in the bag, and, it's, and then later on they go to get something out. It's empty. It's a bag of holes. But then he went on to say, he said, there was he that withholds more than his meat. It tends to poverty. And then he went on to say, and there's he that casteth abroad. It's like he, he's throwing it out there. And he said he casts his bread upon the waters. After many days it returns to him. He said there are those that are very generous and God blesses them. That's not the lesson, just going on. Just wanted you to see, because at the end of, chapter uh, at end of chapter 11, he's showing us faith does not mean that you are going to have a uh, stress-free life. Matter of fact, if we had a stress-free life, we wouldn't need faith, would we? And so trials come our way so that we can, we can see what God can do in our lives. Think it not strange, the writer says, concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. So when trials come your way, don't get, don't get blown out of the water. Something bad happens to you, don't think, man, I must be God's redheaded stepchild. 
he must not love me. He must forgot about me because the bill is due and I don't have the money to pay it. Or uh, God must be angry with me because I got this attack in my body. Or God must be disappointed with me because I got into a car accident. No, none of that is, is necessarily true. What's true is situations come to Christians, situations come to non-Christians. The, the difference is we as Christians, if we respond correctly, we have God with us to help us through the situations. So don't get blown out of the water if some bump comes along your road. If you were going to, where am I? I'm in St. Louis. If we were going to Kansas City, that's west. And you got on uh, I-70 heading west and you hit a pothole. Would you throw up your hands in the air and say, I can't believe it. This is awful. I don't know what to do. Or would you just keep driving? If you turned around when you hit the pothole, you'll never get to Kansas City. Amen. You got to keep going. This is part of what we learn in Hebrews. So let's go on. He said, these folks, they didn't have much. But listen how God describes them. We're in verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. God said these people, though they weren't rich materially, they were rich to me. And the world didn't understand the treasure they had in them. Verse 39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, their report card was straight A's because they believed God. They received not the promise. But wait a second, I thought faith guarantees everything. No. Matter of fact, faith is an initial thing that we do when we first come to Christ. It is something that we are to do every day. The just shall live by faith. We are to believe and keep believing. And so here Paul is pointing out, and, and, and think about it. He's talking to these people who are dealing with this pressure to be pulled back into Judaism. And so he needs to let them know, hey... Just because things, your family's cutting you off and you don't get to be a part of the family reunion and grandma won't buy you anything for Hanukkah and all these things are happening, don't turn around. This isn't the end yet. Continue to believe. You still with me? They didn't receive the promise yet, but they were going to if they continued to believe. You got to believe at the beginning and you got to keep on believing. Verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Now, perfect here is complete. So these people who went on before us, all these examples that Paul has given us, yet they didn't receive the promise, they were not perfected, completed, fulfilled without us. We get to come in and we see their examples. And then he begins to paint this picture in chapter 12. Let's read. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So you get this picture. You're in the middle. Picture a stadium. You're down there. All around you. We're compassed about. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And they're cheering us on. We sing that song some, sometimes, don't we? Among those seated in the great grandstand are the prophets and apostles who've gone through that land. I see Enoch and Noah who walked with God, David with his harp and his staff and his rod. Uh, 
the trials of, uh, from heaven's grandstand, they are beckoning me, shouting, come on, you can make it if you try. So we've got people cheering us on. We've got a God that wants us to succeed. Amen? Amen. But the picture is, we are in the stadium. We're on the ground floor. We're the ones duking it out. We're the ones involved in this warfare. And we can, for a moment, look at the examples all around us. Wherefore, because you see all these people who they didn't give up, they kept on believing. And remember, just when they believed, didn't mean that they escaped from the trials. I told you they were tortured. They, they lost their life. They were sawn asunder. We saw all these things that happened. But they kept on believing. That was the point he's making. And so now that we are in the middle of the stadium and we have all these witnesses and for a moment we can look to them and say, hey, they kept on believing. Hey, he kept on believing. Hey, he didn't give up. Hey, she didn't give up. And so we get strength. But that's only a temporary look because our ultimate look is looking um, to Jesus. Now let's read a little bit further. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Now Paul was very, um, it was common for him to use some of the Grecian games, the Olympian, Olympics and the games that they would have at that time for spiritual um, uh, examples. And so in the most famous one was these, were these foot races where they would run long distances. It's a little different, a little different than what you might imagine. They were so um, determined and dedicated that they would run nearly naked. They wanted to shed every ounce of extra weight. And so Paul, understanding that these people knew that, he's telling them, man, we're in a race. We're running. Now, he's not telling us to take our clothes off, but he's telling us to lay, amen? <laughs> Just so you say, preacher, I don't know if I'm in a, a nudist colony or what, but no, 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 no. He's not telling us to take our clothes off. He's telling us to take off the weights that we've been carrying. And here's what that word means. It spoke of the term for a barb in a hook, something that would capture you. So sometimes these weights slow you down enough to where the enemy can capture you. You get the picture? It spoke of a burden, things that we carry that are just slowing us down. You can't win the race. You know, when you go out to run a race, you don't put 50 pounds in a backpack and throw it on your back, not if you're trying to win. Amen? So Paul's telling us, we're running for eternity. And because we're running for eternity, you should only, only bring the essentials. Lay aside some of these things. Now, here's what we could do. I could take the moment now and list off all these things. And there are things that are generic. You should lay aside doubts. Lay aside pride. Lay aside um, uh, prejudice, hatred, anger. But what I think might be even better is if you ask the question of yourself. What is it that I need to lay aside? One of the meanings for these word, this word weight meant to avoid. 
it was saying that there are things that we could avoid, but we don't. And since we don't avoid them, they become this weight. The things that you don't need to pick up, but you do. <laughs> now, if you've had a house for any length of time, you can probably relate to this. There are things that you think, man, I need this. And you get it, and you've never used it. <laughs> it's on the shelf. It's in the, the cupboard. It's wherever it is. And every now and then, I mean, it's been a year, two years, you haven't used it, and you pull it out, and you say, you know what? I better not throw it away, because one day I'm going to need that. But if, if you do that long enough with enough stuff, it just accumulates. And your life becomes cluttered. And now you're tripping over stuff you haven't used, right? That's the picture here. There are things that we can avoid, things that we should avoid, things that we've got to be ruthless about, saying, you know what, it's not just the sin I'm supposed to lay aside. It's the things that are non-essential, the things that don't really matter much, the things that aren't really important for me. Come on in, glad you're here. Lay them aside. So let me ask you, what weights are you carrying that burden you? Sometimes people, you talk to them. Uh, I talked to a family member today. They're really going through it. They're, without getting all the details, but family member and, and that's a, a grandmother and she's got children that are going through horrific relationship problems and all kinds of drama and stuff, hard, tough, difficult. And she said, I don't want my family to experience the pain that I went through in one of her relationship issues 30 some years ago. I don't want to place that upon them. And she said this, it's surprising that even though I thought I had put it away, suddenly, this other relationship issue comes up and all of that stuff just comes up again. Well, almost like she's been carrying it around. A weight that suddenly is there and now you've got to deal with it again. Here's what God said. Casting all your burdens on him because he careth for you. Now think of it this way. There's a lot of stuff you may need Sometimes Reverend Hill can relate. We've talked about it. Man, I'm carrying all this stuff. You got your wallet. You got your phone. Maybe you got your pocket knife. You got, I got my, just like him, he had, he had his AirPods in his pocket. And maybe you got your mints and you got your keys and, and you got your, uh, I got my, my handkerchief. And pretty soon you're feeling like Captain Kangaroo. Amen? And big pocket. You don't even know who that is. That's uh, old. Anyhow. <laughs> He's got all these, these pockets and all this stuff jammed in. And then you got to come to the place where, you know what? What is it that I really need? Now, sometimes you can solve the problem by having somebody else carry it for you. Right? Really. If you're a kid, if you, you can give it to mom. Mom, put it in your purse. You know, you got a mom with a big purse. And then you, you never know what's in a lady's purse. I mean, she might have a sewing kit. She's got medicine. She's got... Uh, chapstick, she's got a, a 357, she's got a, I mean, you never know what she's got in her purse, right? I mean, all kinds, of, hey, baby, you got a kitchen sink in there, I need to wash my hands. Oh, just a second, she pulls it right out here. <laughs> Praise God! 
Well, think of it this way. There's a lot of things I need, but let me cast it on Jesus because he can carry it for me. Let me strip down to the essentials. And then in the case that I have a need, he's got what I have need of. Now, when you don't have a lot of money, everything's precious to you. When you start to get a little bit more financially stable, then you can let some of that junk go because you, rec- you reason this way. Well, if I need one, I can buy one. Amen? Because cash or a card is a lot easier to carry than it is to carry around a whole tool belt full of junk. Amen? Now think of it this way. I've got a God that's got all the gold and silver and a thousand hills. I've got a God that's got all the answers that I have need. I've got a God that can deal with my relationship trauma and my spiritual issues and help me fight the devil. I've got a God that can do all these things, so why should I fight, try to fight it myself? It's foolish. I can't do it as good as God can. Amen? He said, casting all our cares upon him... Because he careth for me. Going on. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. And it says this. Which doth so easily beset us. Now that word means, it means sin standing around us. He said, it's standing around us. You can picture a campfire. And the campfire is keeping the wild animals away. They're surrounding, waiting for somebody to step away from the fire so they can pounce. And so that's the picture here. Lay aside the sin, the weight would stop. It's, It's surrounding us. Let it aside. And let us run, and I like this, with patience. The race that's set before us. This is not a sprint. And, and you feel sorry sometimes. People come and maybe they hit the altar and they, get, they pray and, and God does something in their life. But they don't understand that's just the beginning. Christianity is not just a one-time prayer getting right with God at the altar. That's the start. Christianity is a day-by-day walk with God. And so I need to be a part of a family of God. I need, to be a, I need to be rooted in a church. I need to be to grounded in a, one particular place where I can, I can call home. I need to have a pastor. I need to have some brothers and sisters. I need to have that stability. Because if, if you go from place to place to place to place, can you imagine, what would you learn if you had a new teacher every day? There'd be no continuity. The teacher that finally figured out your weakness, who was trying to help you with that weakness, wouldn't have the chance because you jumped over there. You jumped over there. You jumped over there. And you never get some of those things dealt with. That's not God's desire. Let's run with patience, meaning it's not a sprint. This is a marathon. Just keep going. Just keep going. Keep coming back to church. Keep praying, keep believing, keep reading. I feel so bad. I feel like I have failed. I feel like I have come so short. I feel like I should be doing so much more. Welcome to the club. 
just keep coming. Amen. He's got enough grace for all of us. He's got enough forgiveness for all of us. And we gather strength by recognizing, hey, we're not a bunch of perfect people here to show off our our halos. Hey, check out my halo. Ain't seen one that big, have you? (laughs) We're not people like that. If you got a halo, you bought it at the five and dime, you got it at the dollar store, amen? It's not a good one. It won't last too long. But we are people that have issues. And some days... Some people's issues are more apparent than others. We are people that need grace. We are people that need strength. We are people that need God, and we need each other. So don't run. A crazy thing. You see people get into a trouble, into a problem situation. They say, man, I'm going through some things. I can't come to church. You got it backwards. I'm sick, so I better not go to the doctor. No, you got it backwards. You're sick, you go to the doctor, amen? You go to the hospital, you get the medicine. Now, you don't stay away when you're healthy. In this situation, the metaphor breaks down. You you keep going. You take your vitamins, amen? You eat good food. Let us run with patience the race that's set before us. And then verse 2, what I've already alluded to, my time is running out, looking unto Jesus. So we're in the stadium, we got the surrounded by all these witnesses, we see them, hey, there's Moses, there's Elijah, there's these people, there's Daniel, there's um, Elizabeth, and there's Mary, and there's um, uh, Sarah, and all these various ones that we can, look at that, man, she kept on believing, God worked it out, and look at that, he believed, he lost his life, but he went to heaven. And we gather all that strength, but, so we look at that, we glance at them, but then it says, looking unto Jesus. Now here's the thing. Sometimes we don't understand how blessed we are. I had a chance to work as a missionary in the Philippines about four and a half years. Um, I would say 99.9% of people that call themselves poor in America are really not poor. They just don't understand. They compare themselves to other people that are living in this this you know, first-tier country, and they, they haven't seen what people, people that survive, I think it's what, 50% of the world lives on less than $2 a day? Think about that. If you drove here tonight, you are, I think, in the, the top 10% of people in the world because you have a vehicle, you have, you have um, air conditioning and heating, and you've got indoor plumbing, and you've got all these things. We're blessed. Now, I'm not saying that um, you should give it all up unless God calls you to give it all up. But perspective helps us, doesn't it? It begins to help us appreciate. Now, if you look at all the people that have more than you, you start feeling sorry for yourself. But if you look at all the people that you have more than, then you begin to realize, man, I am incredibly blessed. So this is what's happening here. He said, look into Jesus. Because when we look to Jesus... We really can't feel sorry for ourselves anymore, can we? He was crucified. He was innocent, but they put him to death. Did you know this? When he died, he went to hell. He suffered in hell. In Psalms, the Bible said the waves of God's wrath went over him. And you won't come to church because you got a headache? Or because it's raining? Or because it... 
there's a two or three snowflakes that may come out. Perspective, amen? Look into Jesus, the author, and I like this, and finisher. It goes back to running with patience. A lot of folks are good starters, but they're not so good at finishing. And we've got to cross this finish line. It's not going to be easy. Be one of the hardest things you ever did. But we gain strength running with each other. When you got somebody else saying, come on, you can do it. Come on, you can. I've given the example a dozen times. I won't do it right now because I'm out of time. But uh, sometimes I'll call somebody up and say, come on, stand right there. Now reach for the sky as high as you can. And they'll reach and I'll come up right next to them. I said, come on now, reach a little higher. And even though they were supposed to reach as high as they can, all of a sudden they're reaching a little bit higher. I said, come on, a little bit higher. And they reach a little bit higher. Now the original injunction was, hey, reach as high as you can. But somebody else encouraged them and they reached higher than they thought they could. That's what a church family does. That's what a preacher does. That's what, that's what we do to each other. We encourage each other to go higher than we thought we could. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We run this race, we see others running. And when we see others running, we're encouraged to keep going. Jesus not only started it, he finished it. Notice this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's helpful. If I look to Jesus, I understand he did not have it easy. He was beaten scourged, spit upon. He was humiliated. We see these pictures of Jesus hanging up there with a little loincloth. That's not how the Romans did it. They wanted to humiliate. They wanted to make crucifixion as shameful as possible. Almost always, they would strip them naked to humiliate them. After having beaten them and, and carry his cross and then spit upon him, pluck the beard. I mean, come up and they pull the beard out of his face. Put that crown of thorns and beat it down on him. Mocking him. Gambling for the clothes that they had stripped from him. But he didn't quit. He could have called down angels and said, that's it, I'm done. God Hit him with lightning, every one of them. He could have called down uh, battalions of angels to annihilate everybody. But if he would have done that, we would not have had our chance to get to God. He started and he finished. Why? Looking, he said, who for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? Well, to be united with the Father again. But why did he leave heaven? So that he could reach Reverend Groves and Sister Lori and Sister Duell and Brother Tuhig. The joy set before him was, I'm going to endure this because someday there's going to be a Sister Moss or a Sister Devonshire or a Brother Ron that needs forgiveness. And if I don't finish this, there will not be no other way. You can't get to heaven through an angel. You can't get to heaven through a 12-step program. There is no purgatory. Nobody can light a candle for you. All these things. There is no other way to get to heaven. You can't be just moral. People have this idea that if I'm just good, here, here, 
This, this is so important. You know, we have this 90-day challenge. Part of the 90-day challenge was pray every day, 20 minutes at least. That's the first level. Invite two people a day. Read at least three chapters of the Bible. Why do I want you to, I mean, I, I, God wants us to read the, the Bible. Why? The, to inform your, con, your, inform your conscience, to learn what God said. The world will say all kinds of things. Hey, let's go buy a case of beer. Let's get some wine coolers. Let's, get, uh, let's go to the cannabis shop and, and we'll, we'll score some dope and we'll just relax. And the world accepts that. And they, their conscience isn't informed. They feel no guilt, no sense of wrong. But when you read the Bible, and the Bible said, no drunkard shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. When you read the Bible, and, and the Bible says that uh, sex outside of marriage, you can't get to heaven doing that. When you get into the Bible and the Bible says, come out from the world and be separate. When you get into the Bible and the Bible says, he wants us to dress modestly. That he cares about what we put on. When you get into the Bible and he says, I want you. I mean, I mean God is so wise. He understood what was going to be happening with uh, all the, the transvestite and, and all of the things that we have to deal with in our society. Way back when, God said, listen, here's what I want you to do. Men... I don't want you to wear the clothes of a woman. That's what the Bible said. Women, I don't want you to wear the clothes of a man. That's what the Bible said. Now, because people have, have not informed their conscience, they don't understand what's right and wrong anymore. They just go out and do whatever they want to do. But when you read the Bible and you say, hey, wait a second. And again, go home, see for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Go home, read the New Testament. See what the Bible says. This is God's word. God wrote, he wrote this through men to give to you to show you how to live. You got to put forth some effort to find out what does God want me to do? And I'll tell you what he doesn't want you to do. He's not saying, go ahead, uh, live and let live. Get high with a little help from your friends. Relax, get drunk, do these things. That's not, what, that's not what the scripture tells us. I have nightmares because my conscience is informed by the word of God. I don't have them so much now, but I, I have had them where in my nightmare I will have uh, uh, taken a, a drug again or gone outside not properly attired. And I find myself, oh, Lord, and you feel the guilt because you understand, I'm almost done. Did you know we, uh, we use the term nemesis? Your nemesis is your enemy, right? Another way to spell enemy, nemesis. Really different completely. But the word nemesis, from what I understand, is actually uh, a Greek, was a Greek god type deal. And they used that, that god to describe conscience and your nemesis the nemesis would be coming after you with like an axe ready to to do you harm because your conscience is reminding you hey when you do and I'm man I've been there I've been there I was in uh dealing with a medical situation and I don't want to you know I don't think everybody needs to know every little bit of my medical history amen and sometimes they're just pr prying and I'm trying to give them the pertinent information without dumping my whole, because, you know, you got to keep some stuff private. Amen? And uh, 
And they asked me a question, and I kind of, I didn't want to answer. I want to give them all my information, so I kind of dodged. And then later on, God just dealt with me. He said, you didn't, you didn't really respond the way that you should have. I mean, my conscience was just dealing with me and dealing with me and dealing with me. And eventually, I had to call the lady up. How embarrassing that was. Call up the doctor. Hey, hey, doc, you asked me a question, and I answered this way, but really, here's the deal. Amen? And I just had to, I know it doesn't really matter to you, but I just have to make it right because my conscience is killing me. Now, here's what you'll say. And I, I like, I think uh, Jonathan McReynolds said it, and it just stuck with me. Maybe he said it in one of his songs. He said, there are gray areas, but there's not much peace there. I thought that was great. People say, well, what about this? What about that? And I don't think you have to go so far. And I don't think you have to go so far. When you're living in the gray area, you don't have a whole lot of peace, do you? No, you got to get out of the gray. You, Jesus said it this way. Either you're all the way for me or you're against me. He was saying there was no in-between. And people think they can live in this in-between area. No, you're just, you're a hypocrite. You're pretending one thing, but you're not fully surrendered to God. And that's what, uh, we have, and, and I mean, not everybody is this way, okay? Not everybody is this way. I believe we have sincere, sold-out Christians in our church. But I also believe there are people that present themselves some, one way, but they just are not willing to surrender their sin. They still got the bottle of whiskey. They still got the pack of cigarettes, the bag of dope. They still got their secret web pages. They say, I don't care what the preacher says, I'm not going to give up sex until I get married. Ain't no way. Which means to you, your body is your God. Hey, do what you want to do. But if you inform your conscience, you won't have any peace. You'll be in the arms of some man or some woman thinking, this is what I really need. And God will be dealing with you. And you'll say, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I need to get right. Now, the good news is there's a God that loves you. And he's willing to bring you in and wash you and make you clean and empower you so that you can live an overcoming Christian life and not give in to those temptations because you can. You can overcome. You can live victorious. You don't have to be angry and filled with hatred. You don't have to be dropping F-bombs and, and saying this and let me tell you what I really think about you and all this filth that's flowing from you. Now, I thought you were a Christian. If you're doing that, you are not a Christian. Are you still here? You are not a Christian. You're still getting drunk. You are not a Christian. You're still watching questionable media. That, that's not what Christians do. All right, I'm done. I love you. I care about you. That's why I want to, it does me, it does you no good for me to just get up here and say, hey, this is how to be rich and this is how to be, uh, get along with people and so on and so forth. It doesn't help you a bit. But if I can inform your conscience and share with you what the Bible says, maybe you'll begin to see and say, you know what? I got to do something about this. A child doesn't know any better. 
You leave rat poison down there, they might be down there. Oh, (laughs) right? A parent, a responsible adult, has to keep them from doing something that's going to kill them. Now, eventually they understand. I don't want to eat that because I might die. Now, I've never, I've never tasted antifreeze. But they say it's sweet. That's why the animals, if you leave it out there, the animals will drink it. They'll, they'll die from it. I've never tasted it. I'm not trying to taste it. You don't have to buy me any for my birthday present or anything like that. All right? I'll be okay. I'll be okay. <laughs> but there are some things that may taste sweet but they'll kill you. And sometimes if you don't know, you need somebody to come around. That's why, hey, just do yourself a favor. My time is up. I'm going to let you go. Go home and read the New Testament. There's 270 chapters. If you read three chapters a day, in 90 days, three chapters a day, if you're with us in our 90-day challenge, you should be coming to the end. But even if you didn't, jump in now. In three months' time, you could know what God said to you in the Bible. It's not hard. Three chapters will take you maybe 15 minutes. If, if you don't like to read, you can get the Version Bible app on your phone. It'll read it to you on your way to work. Hit play, Matthew, boom. You can be driving to work. And in the 15 minutes, 20 minutes of going to work, get three or four chapters in. Find out what God is saying. Amen. Don't get frustrated. I don't know about all these church things. Have you found out how the church is supposed to be? I went to this church and they raised their hands. Never heard of that before. Have you read what the Bible said? Amen. You got to go back to the scripture. Inform yourself. Learn. Open up the word of God. Find out. My time is up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. We appreciate all you've done. And we ask now, God, that you would bless these people. Help us. God, eternity is real. Hell is real. Lake of fire is real. But heaven, thank God, is real. And your blood will forgive and your grace will give us strength. But we just can't play around with it. Help us. Jesus, you told us it was so serious that if our hand caused us to offend, to cut off our hand, if our eye made a sin to pluck out the eye, you wanted us to see things that seriously. Help us to see it as seriously as you do. To get away from sin, to walk with you, to be empowered by you. And God, we give you thanks, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we got church Thursday night, 7.30. We invite you to come be with us. Are you doing something Thursday after service? Is that what it is? Yes? Yes. And my bride's birthday is Thursday. And I think after service they're going to have some cake and whatnot so you can help us celebrate another grace-given year to Sister Devonshire. So God bless you. Thursday night, 7.30. We'll see you then.